You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This week, Apple's evil geniuses got called jerks by some guy at the FBI. Seems that, as we said, the app economy isn't dead. Reports say that HomePod may not be too far away. And there are rumors the iPhone 6 Plus replacement batteries may be in short supply. Also, of course, CES brought us the usual crop of news stories from the interesting to the, well, totally bizarre. We picked out some of the more intriguing ones while passing on the more mundane or obvious ones. Otherwise, this show would be about four hours long. All this and more on this episode of The Essential Apple Podcast. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Oh, I was ill last week and I'm still ill. And if you're listening to the after show, you're going to be in for retreat. But I'm back. Unfortunately, I'm only back for about half an hour because the world has conspired against me and I've got stuff to do. And uh, it's also because we've got a guest. And as always, we are very privileged to have Mr. Bart Bouchotts from, and I've got to remember the podcast here, let's-talk.ie. Bart, how are you doing? Good, sir. I am doing just fine, and since we haven't chatted since last year, I will say a very happy new year to you guys, and the very best wishes for 2018. Uh, happy new year to you. And uh, was is the iPhone X still as lovely as when you got it just before the new year? Yes, yes, it is. Oh Damn my it. god, what it is! It is an evolution of the iPhone. It, it, it it's a big jump. Like yes, I'm in love. Yes. That's, that's Have you grown to year. appreciate it more then after since because when you first got it, it was like, oh yeah, I've, yeah, I've got the iPhone X, but now I can hear a little bit more tinge of excitement in your voice and a little bit more like, oh yes, this is nice. The the continuous the fact that it's uh, basically the continuous authentication, it really grows in you, particularly the more you know, you're cycling, you're exercising in other ways. You just have to look at the phone and it knows it's you and it does its thing. So much less faffing around, especially when you're wearing gloves in winter time. Um, it, it's also the replacing the physical home button with that soft home button indicator contraption. It's way more powerful than a button could ever be because with the different swipe gestures on it, it's much easier to, to navigate between your apps. And then, of course, you come down to the, the the most obvious feature. That screen is to drool over. And since it's a waterproof phone, you can if you like. Oh, damn you. Damn you. One day we will get subscription type people who will send us things. Also joining us this week is Simon, who covered for me last week at the very, very last minute because I'm still poorly. If I'm, I've been poorly now since November. Simon, how are you? Thank you very much for stepping in uh, no at problem. the last moment last no, week. No problem at all. Um, I'm not too bad. I've got a mashed up knee that's still giving me a lot of grief. But uh, other than that, I don't know. No, I'm pretty good. This is going to turn into the crusty old buggers podcast. <laughs> What's wrong with you this week? Well, this week it's my throat and sinuses. Simon's got a bad knee and Bart's the healthy one. So you'll have to come. I'm going to knock on all of the wood here. Because... <laughs> Right now, I do not believe I have a complaint. Jolly good. Uh, Keep it that way, man. Fancy pants over there in that little island. They haven't got much of an economy, but at least they've got their health. (laughs) Our our economy is is slowly recovering, actually. Uh, We're not doing too bad these days. Well, what are you going to do when Apple bail out? Because they're they're one of your main sort of main companies just propping up the entire place. Well, given the fact that we've already managed to chase them out of their data center in Nathan Rye due to the complete idiocy of our planning laws. 
um I, I don't i don't think they're going anywhere just yet but yeah it wouldn't be good although as long as you guys keep brexiting i think we'll be okay for multinationals <laughs> <laughs> i i gotta admit i couldn't believe that when i was in dublin and knowing that apple have offices in dublin there was not an official apple store in dublin there's, there's that, none in the whole of the republic of ireland that just blew my mind i just could not get over that it's been blowing my mind for many 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 years um we have some good resellers. I mean, CompUB have stores in a fair few cities around the country, and they are, they're very good resellers. But you know something? I would really like a real Apple store, please. Uh, you never, you don't get that same sort of reassurance you get from going into an Apple reseller. It just sort of smatters of, yeah, we're selling this and taking the margin on top. And plus, they're useless, or at least the one in Kamarthen is, because every time I go in there saying, can you look at this? Can you look at that? Can you fix this? Well, we'll have to send it off. We'll have to send it off. So I basically said to them, you're basically just a depot for up the road, aren't you? And they looked <laughs> at me and went, yeah, yeah, pr- uh, pretty much, pretty much. Right then, let's get on with some Apple news. Uh, At the top of the stories there, we've got an FBI forensic expert who, in his professional opinion, was quoting Apple and calling them jerks and evil geniuses for encrypting iPhones. Do we think that he's a little, he's had a particularly bad case to deal with recently? Now he's a bit frustrated that he can't hack hack Apple at all. Um, well, the truth is, they've never really been able to hack Apple. And uh, what he's got even more annoyed about is that uh, Apple recently have increased the uh, the rate at which you can attempt to brute force a phone. They've changed that. Apparently, they've changed their hash iterations from ten thousand to ten million. Uh, so now, brute force tools can only go at you know uh, what is it a thousandth the speed they could before. So, oh, uh, it yeah it says that usually it took two days to crack the password on iPhone using brute force algorithms, but now the same task will take two months. It's one of those horrible things where you've got some sympathy for it, but I kind of like the fact that if I drop my phone, then no one's going to be able to get into it. Wait, they... it's not just if you drop your phone i mean that's that's already that is an important uh, thing to consider right you know you could just be damnable unlucky and lose your phone and at least you're comfortable i mean you can remote wipe it of course if you have it set up in uh, find my iphone which i recommend everyone do uh, but it, it's even worse if your phone is actively stolen because then you know that there's something malicious afoot in the wind um, if you'll excuse my baldric quote and at that stage you really need to know that the criminal who has taken your phone can't take your identity as well and the FBI may feel like this is about them but you know something it's really not there are so many more criminals on this planet than there are law enforcement people and the danger that Apple are protecting against is criminal elements and it just so happens that if you keep the criminals out you keep everyone out and you know Apple aren't targeting the FBI Apple are keeping their users safe and that also includes everyone yeah I was thinking about this the other day that my phone goes everywhere with me and I've got one of these cases where in the back of my case I've got two um, two debit cards and I keep thinking that's incredibly stupid to you know, have a card in the back of your iPhone. It basically just says, hello, if you steal my phone, you're going to steal my debit cards. But <laughs> it's only because the, the plastic cards are just a backup for when I can't use my phone or, you know, Apple Pay. It it's yeah. just it just sinks into my psyche now of it's just instinctive now to pay by contactless slash Apple Pay and I would be more, I'd be more gutted if I lost one of those cards than I would my seven hundred pound phone. Yeah. Mm, well, I mean, 
you know, these days, if you've lost your debit card, it's not that hard to get it stopped, is it? But it, oh, it's still yeah, a pain in the backside. Yeah, it's still a pain online, in the backside. Find the bank number, spend 50 million hours on uh, <laughs> on the phone. And then the worst thing is, oh, hi, my card's been stolen. Can you prove that it has? And you've got to pass. <laughs> NatWest have got really, I'm going to go on a gripe here. NatWest have got really <laughs> bad recently because you call them up. And they ask you security questions. They go quiet. They put you on hold. They come back and they say, oh, I need to ask you some more security questions. Now, I know more or more or less you've got six security questions. Normally, you only have to answer three. So I've started noticing that every now and again, the machines are obviously having a wobbly. They've logged themselves out, logged themselves back in, and then they're trying to blag to get the rest of my security questions, which then makes me worry because I'm thinking, Am I being socially engineered here? That is a bit... It, doesn't it make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. There's, a, there's a reason why they're only supposed to ask you two or three of the six, and that's so that nobody knows all of your answers. Well, exactly. And this is only what hit me the other day when I finished on the phone call. Is like, I've just given someone on the phone. And thankfully, it was a NatWest number that I called, so I knew that I was safe. Okay, so yeah, if you call them, that, then you're not worried about being fished, right? No, no. But it's it's the fact that because, and I hate to do the whole stereotypical thing, but I've been watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos of um, scammy call centers. Unfortunately, there is a region in the world that is associated with a type of accent and a type of person where you know if you speak to them on the phone, if they call you, you're going to get scammed. And I'm sort of like thinking it wouldn't be too much of a stretch of imagination that if there was a disgruntled employee, they've got my bank details. And now all of a sudden, due to their incompetence or my incompetence that they've got on my security numbers, I could be doomed. That's true. Yeah. So there we are. That's almost some handy advice there. Don't give away all your information, but you probably already knew that. And have I mentioned that I'm a little bit delirious. <laughs> right. Uh, what else? Where were we going with this story? Well, I, I mean, uh, we pretty much covered it. I mean, the whole thing is, I, I'm afraid this is just, in my view, this is just the fact that law enforcement, be it, you know, the FBI or the Metropolitan Police or everybody, are just, yeah, I, I kind of feel for them in the fact that, you know, they've got somebody who they think might be a drug lord or a whatever, and they can't get into their phone to get evidence. But let's face it, there are other ways to collect evidence than just basically being handed it on a plate what did they do before smartphones they tracked down criminals and drug lords and gun runners and people before they gathered evidence against them without having to break into their iphones so i'm sorry i think they're just being a little bit whiny and oh uh, we would like it to be really easy oh, what was i watching on netflix the other day i think it might be wanted or taken or something like that and it was because this kind of ties into Apple because more and more in Netflix shows, you start to see a bit of Apple product placement. And I've been keeping an eye on the old Netflix and it's like, oh, look, there's Apple stuff there. And maybe that's just, you know, art imitating life because a lot of people do use Apple stuff. But that logo becomes quite prominent over when you see Dell or Microsoft or I don't know if you, any of you guys have seen The Flash where it's like, oh, hang on a sec. Let me just pull up the data as he opens up his Microsoft Surface and the camera pans round to show you it's got... The, oh, uh, the, the, the Microsoft Surface is, is placed incredibly heavily. I mean, um, casually, 
which always used to be very heavy with Apple gear and not because I think Apple placed it there. I think just because that's what they used to use. But they now almost exclusively, they, they have Microsoft surfaces and, and whatnot. And it's that's quite made quite obvious that they're Microsoft. Them, really, anyway, there we go. It's a CRT monitor with a running and outdated version of Windows. And then it would we literally would be like the real yeah. life. <laughs> I've completely forgot where I was going with my story. Uh, Apple <laughs> product placement. Well, oh, you, I, you, I don't. I don't. I mean... Many years ago, before Apple became huge, you know, as a, as an Apple user, spotting Apple Kit on TV and in in films was a bit of a you know a little bit of a game. But you know, it's like you'd see a corner of a of, of a Mac and go, "That's a Mac," or you know, uh, a mouse or something. It's like, that's a, that's an Apple mouse. But I mean, it became pointless because they were so common that it was actually I started switching to the other way around, trying to say, "Oh, look, that's a Dell." Or... <laughs> <laughs> Just because Apple stuff was everywhere. And, of course, mostly people make all sorts of reasons why that is. But actually, a lot of it is simply to do with the fact that set dressers want stuff that looks nice. And Apple Kit looks nice most of the time. Well, and you also have the fact that a lot of media type companies are going to be the ones doing the set dressing, and they tend to be the kind of people who use Macs. So exactly, that's also uh, you know they just grab something from the office. And... I mean, one of the uh, I mean, I mentioned Casualty uh, way way back in the day. Um, on in Casualty, they they had uh, like Mac SEs on the desk. Now I'm pretty sure that wasn't to represent the fact that the NHS were using SEs, it was to be able to have a neat looking computer on the desk that didn't have millions of wires and crud hanging out of the back of it, making it look absolutely god awful on film. So there you go. Uh, right, shall we push on? Um, well, very quick question to you. What do we think the realistic chances of Apple buying Netflix? I'm going to say nothing, never. Nothing not at all. No way. No. It doesn't seem... It, 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 I don't see the sense of it. It, it, it. Sure, they could afford them, but just because you can is not a good reason to do anything. I, I can't see them buying Netflix. If they were going to buy Netflix, they'd have bought them years ago. If that's what they wanted, they'd have bought them years ago be, before they became the you know major player they are now. Um, now they'd have to spend an awful lot of money. And, and for what? What would they get out of it? I can't, if Apple want to do their own content, which it seems they want, you know, maybe wanting to do, the only reason that you would want to buy Netflix would be to buy the talent. And I'm pretty sure Netflix don't, you know, I'm sure like most of these things, they don't have huge teams of, of writers and producers and cameramen. They go out and people come to them and pitch a show and they say, yeah, we like that. That's a good, we think we can make that one work. How much money do you need? And that's how yeah. that's how the media work. Even the BBC don't produce all their own stuff. You've only got to listen to the radio and you'll hear game shows and things. And at the end, this was a such and such production for the BBC. So, no, I can't see any. I could be wrong. You know, I was wrong about Beats for sure, but um, I can't see it. I, I think now it'd be an awful lot of money for something that they could have bought. If they wanted to buy it, they would have bought it years ago. I don't think they're interested in that. Yeah. Uh, so next up then is the iOS economy updated. Now, you covered this last week, Simon, so I'll let you take the lead. Uh, this well, week. all this one is, uh, it was linked by John Gruber. And if you remember, there was a lot of talk. And last week we did talk about it where it said, you know, there was all this talk about the app economy is dying and people can't make any money and so on. 
and uh, ASIMCO have updated their report, um, and it says, basically, developer payment rate is now over $25 billion per year, um, which I have been notified is higher than the revenue of McDonald's in 2016. Uh, During this year, the iOS users will be spending approximately $100 million per day on apps. And this was Google's AdWord revenue in 2012. Uh, Spending on the App Store has been rising steadily, adding about $5 billion per year since 2011. And apps are the biggest component of Apple services and have helped that segment gross over $57 billion in 2017, passing Fortune 100 level uh, net of the development payout. So, I mean, there's a whole load of charts uh, on the link. There's a a whole load of uh, breakdown, should you be interested in that. But basically, that's the app economy is dying. Is it hell? Sorry. I was going to say, comparing something to Google's ad revenue in 2012 may seem a bit of a folly. But considering how big Google is and was in 2012, to the relatively small user base of the iPhone in iOS in general, that's just biblical. Mm. That is just absolutely biblical. And, you know, as it says there, you know, still growing. They they reckon it's going to grow, what did I just say? Five? uh, Yes, adding another five billion probably uh, this year. So basically, there's a graph there showing that it's it's still going up and not it's not going up at a slow level it's it's rising pretty much at uh, you know, uh, you know okay, well, yeah. the, the, the graphs that are going up very steeply are the cumulative graphs so the oh, ones yeah. with the straight yeah. lines are the interesting ones but i mean that the trend line in the non-cumulative graphs is it was 45 really, degrees isn't it give or take yeah and really quite consistent yes like it, it's just a steady sustainable it's not a bubble no. Like that is a well, a sustainable market there. When you have something which is growing at a steady rate since what's this, 2011 and the rate has been steady all the way to now, that, that's a sign of something real, something solid, something with, you know, it, it's not a fad. That, that's something real Apple have built. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And all of the, all of the trend, all like all of the non cumulative graphs are extremely straight line. Like the scatter plots are very close to the trend line. Yeah, it's not. This is good data. Yeah, this is good. It's not one of those things where you look at the scatter dots and they're all over the graph, and then you know, oh well, if we connect the top and the bottom, we've got sustained we've growth got a trend. Yeah, yeah, no, this this is this is pretty yeah. good data. If I put my physicist hat on, if I was getting that from my experiments, I'd be a happy camper and be off to a journal for some publishing. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. And also, it, it's always going to be funny, isn't it? Because Apple have stuck to 70, 30, 85, well, and now the 85, 15, if your app's been in there for a while. Mm. If it was ever to slightly level off or it was start to dip just a little, Apple's got the margins. Out. I'll tell you what, boys, we'll go 80, 20 and board uh, 90, 10. They yeah. could just tweak those figures in an instant and that market would come flying back up. But of course, you know what this means. If it does level off ever so slightly, we're going to get the uh, bad news for Apple is that things plateau because <laughs> not every business in the world plateaus. Yeah, no, I, I love the fact that people can spin the fact that Apple grows more slowly as bad news. Yeah, it, but they're still growing, but not as quick as we would. It, sorry, it's not as quick as analyst, analysts would like, or it falls short of analyst prediction. Well, analysts well, want the, everything the, the, to grow two hundred percent per annum forever. That's what they want. The, <laughs> the iPhone was was a terror for that. Where the, the, you know, so it wasn't. 
when these headlines started to come out that you know the iPhone is doomed, it wasn't that the the sales were down. It's only that the rate at which they were growing was down. So the sales were still going up, but they weren't going up as fast, and therefore Apple is doomed. And you're like, Jesus, come on! Like, how hard? How hard are you looking for whatever the opposite of a silver lining is? I yeah, mean, it's like you're really trying to dig deep for some bad news here. And th- but this is the—I was going to mention this at the top of the show. International Business Times. I hate that website with such a passion because it was, what was it? Uh, Meghan Markle, Royal Picks, uh, Stun Crowds, Five Ways to Lose Weight. Uh, And all these clickbaity, like, OK and Hello magazine headlines on a website called International Business Times. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to do it now. I, I, I did have FOMO. The fear of missing out that I might miss something. Nah, just unsubscribe, man. There are there are good news. I I I went through my RSS reader and just as soon as the website made me cranky, they were they were removed. So the register, pile of clickbaity shit. <laughs> Goodbye. And oh, I feel so yes. much better now because the articles I have left are from reputable places like RS Technica and stuff, and they write well. They write sensibly. I'm more. I'll give a shout out to as well for being very level headed and very analytical and actually giving you real information in a well thought out and sensible way they may not be first to publish the story but you know something when you've read the story you've learned something i i gotta admit i'm not keen on imore i but that's something we will cover because i'm running late on time but that we can uh we can do a a follow-up show on that one okay well ours you agree that ours technically do really good reporting yes and Uh, for security stuff naked security from sofos i have not gone into that one but i will have a look and I will, I, will, I will have a look. Sorry. Uh, actually, now I'm just slated IBT. Uh, I can't find any of the clickbaity headlines, which is really <laughs> Ah, but have you got Ghostery turned on to get rid of them all? <laughs> uh, no, this is on the iOS doodah ah, device right, thing. Okay. Uh, right. Um, well, oh, in follow-up, by the way, uh, I've gone from tunnel from Blockbear back to Crystal because I found that Blockbear was just letting through way too many ads compared to Crystal. So well, Dean, both. I'm back. There's nothing to stop you running both, you know. Apart from, well, apart from the fact my battery life is got less life in it than a fruit fruit. Oh, right. Well, so yeah. I'm, I'm amazed I can actually type I mean, a text message. But, but what it's worth, I mean, I run AdBlock Pro, Crystal and Blockbear on my phone and on my mac i run adblock pro and ghostery so um, what about you bart what are you using to keep yourself sane uh nothing what yeah you, you go on I, I just, naked yeah. I, how, I, I, I wouldn't put it quite like that but... <laughs> how, are you, how are you not riddled uh, well, okay, maybe it's just any site that starts popping up stuff that annoys me i just don't go back don't go there day. anymore there you go yeah and I do an awful, awful lot of my browsing through my RSS reader rather than ah, yeah. well, through a browser. I mean, I, so... I, I must admit that there's, there's several things. I mean, I have those blockers on, but I, I do a lot of my news reading through Apple News. Um, mm-hmm. I also uh, use either Reader or uh, on my Mac, I use a website called NetVibes, which is uh, allows you to basically construct an RSS feed with a, a web dashboard. Um, yeah, so Reader is my thing. So I have Reader on my Mac, I have Reader on my iOS devices, 
Um, yeah, so I have Reader as my place where I consume and then Instapaper as my sort of place where I build up my show notes for my various shows. So I'll, I'll read stuff in Reader and anything that's for future show notes gets sent to a relevant folder on Instapaper. Uh, and then from there, I put together my show notes for things. So yeah, so Reader is really where I spend most of my internet and of, browsing. And of course, the other the other great tool is is simply Reader View. Yeah. yeah. In, in Safari, yeah, uh, you just, you know, if something's got a load of crap all over it, I just press show me the Reader View. And if there's no Reader View available, well, yeah, I shan't bother to read you then. I'll go somewhere else. We need to team up and do a life hacky sort of show, like the hints and tips that Bart uses to you know, keep yourself organized, the stuff that you and myself do. We need to get organized and do a, do something like that in the future. Uh, right, we're, we're going to do one more story, and then I really have to go because I'm looking at the time going, yeah, I'm already late, but if I'm going to be late, let's, let's okay. start it out. Uh, well, <laughs> pick, pick one then, uh, pick one then, Mark, and then you shoot off and me and Bart will chat over the rest. Carry on. Well, this one, I was going to do the iPhone 6 replacement batteries in short supply, which is a bad thing if you're frustrated, but it's a good thing to know that people are taking them up on that offer. Although there was some dumbass who said, oh, it's still too much. What? What? Yep. Uh, it was, again, one of these reputable, oh, it might have been Business Insider or someone saying, oh, well, there's always someone who says it's was too much. much. And it's like, can you remember the days in when you'd go and buy a digital camera and you'd go and buy a battery and that battery would cost you a blinking fortune, it says, or maybe 15 pounds, let's say 20. If we want to go, you know, non-Japanese, it's not going to blow up in your pocket a la Samsung sort of situation. The fact of the matter is, for 30 pounds, I could walk into a store, someone who knows what they're doing will prise apart a glued phone, put the battery in, put it out in half an hour. Because you know what's happening here, isn't it? They're going, well, it only takes them half an hour. They're making $30 out of half an hour's work. Yeah, and the battery was free and was made by some sort of fairy and just magically poofed onto the desk. Yeah, exactly. Now, this, the next story, sorry, chaps, I we, I really am sorry. I've got to, this next one is, I've just seen this. Apple now selling a mesh Wi-Fi system as airport line remains unchanged. Now, mesh networking has been a, a, a bit of a popular thing sort of on the business level, what with uh, Unify and Ubiquity, where basically you have, let's say you've got three dishes in a triangle you got one two three and if number two breaks then number one and three will take over the load if number three breaks number two and one take over so apple's now got into if the if apple are rebranding this this is quite a big thing for apple this is really sort of hedging down on yeah that ethernet port i would be counting on that if there is anything else that did have an ethernet port coming out uh well the well, one they're the selling is a linksys it's a linksys system it's not rebranded they're simply they're basically promoting the linksys mesh wi-fi uh, and they're now selling it from their website and in store Steve. but yeah the the airport is languishing and i i think there's a lot of talk that apple may stop selling um you know well it's not like apple to just have a product sitting out there for years not being updated or anything we're not looking at the mac mini or the mac pro for example <laughs> well we know there's a cinema display coming and a mac pro coming um but we don't know that the last rumor to come out of uh, out of Apple, out of Apple was that the team behind the airport had been disbanded, which kind of implies that thing is dead. And then for Apple to to start selling what would arguably be a competitor's product from their own store, I I think unless 
unless there's something that Apple can add to the market that no other product can, maybe it's maybe it's okay for Apple to get out and make room for others. I, I, you've got to think, you know, you've got to remember way back when Apple made printers or at least sold printers, you know. No, they made printers. The laser writers were very advanced yeah. laser printers. Yeah, like but Apple were a big player in printers. They made they made printers. They made um, monitors. A digital camera that we won't mention. Yeah, as well, you know. That, it's easy for people to look back at the quick take now and mock. <laughs> You know, it, it was a bit of a dead end product. In fairness, Apple sort of let's dip our toe in the water. Oh no, that's cold. Yeah, um, and maybe they were a bit ahead of their time with it. And yes, it was not a particularly great product, but they made it, and yeah, they decided to get out of it. But it's easy to look back at many early products by any company and mock them in hindsight and say, oh, it only had a half a megapixel thing and it only stored eight photographs. And well, that was. That it was, was the technology at the time. Yeah. But the thing is, right, why did Apple start making the airport? The reason is because the PC industry was failing to make the running on Wi-Fi. The standard was there, but people just weren't building the hardware. And Apple just went, sod this. If you want the job done right, do it yourself. Exactly. because they not wanted... true anymore, right? Apple are not at the vanguard of, of AC. They're not at the vanguard of mesh networking. So, you know, they needed the airport to get Wi-Fi to be ubiquitous. Well, well because they... they... We all remember the thing, wasn't it? Was it Phil Schiller jumping off the top of the yeah. speaker there stack? There are absolutely no wires. No yeah. wires I mean, with, it, a, it with a big deal. With a you know, with a coloured eye eye book. Um, yeah. They were pretty. Um, yeah. But, you know, Apple are not do, taking that role anymore in the in the wireless industry. And there's no particular need for them to take that role because you have you have companies like Eero and stuff coming in, pushing the whole industry forward. It, it's not a case that, that with the Wi-Fi industry needs Apple to give them a kick up the backside. So I think it's probably okay for Apple to step back and to leave it to the rest of the industry. And if at some stage in the future, the rest of the industry drops the ball and there's there's a problem to be solved, well, there's nothing to stop Apple coming back. No, not at all. And uh, in the same way as they got out of printers, I think that was very much, they produced the laser writer and so on because they mm. needed something to go with the Mac and the fact that it was, yeah. you know, breaking the desktop publishing market. Yeah, and they, they had their, their revolutionary GUI. They, like you say, they needed a printer to exist and the industry wasn't providing, so they provided. And now yeah, there's no of, problem getting printers. I mean, if you look at contemporary printers on the PC side, you're looking at nasty dot matrices and daisy wheels and some other pretty rubbish technologies. Um, or, or stuff that costs as much as a house payment. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I, I don't know if any of you or any of our listeners remember the Apple Image Writer 2, which was a dot matrix. I do not. I, I didn't or get into it? the Mac oh, until well, the eMac. So. Well, the, the Image Writer 2 was a dot matrix uh, printer and it, it could take sprocket fed paper, but it could also take ordinary paper. But it's its big selling point was that it was 144 pixels to the inch, which compared to most dot matrices at the time was fantastic. You could actually output pretty good um, things, but you needed to wear ear baffles when you ran it. <laughs> it really was loud, but it was. And I had I had a couple of them um, over the years because they were built like tanks and they uh, they were serial printers. So they only really died when the iMac came along and you know, dropped the ADB port. Anyway, yeah. uh, yes. So 
like you, Bart, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Why did Apple stop making printers? Because they no longer needed to. You know, the industry had caught up and there were people specialising in making printers and selling them for much less than Apple could make viable. So just get out of the market and let the rest of the people take it. And concentrate and on what you need to. These days as well, it, yeah, the companies that make these products are sort of gone, well, we need to make these a little bit nerdy, but not too nerdy. So the whole user interface thing has definitely sort of, Apple have led the way in that, haven't they? To say, make it simple, make it workable. If you want something that's a little bit more high tech, you nerds know where to go. But for the rest of us, this will do you nicely. Hopefully the Linksys stuff. I, I, I was never a fan of Linksys, but now if Apple's partnering up with him, it might be enough just to pique my interest a little bit. Uh, he says, looking at his old Airport Express router, you, you know, the um, the one that's basically a plug with a massive rectangle coming at the back of it. Mm-hmm. I remember those. I, I, I have uh, one of the Pancake uh, Airport Extremes still, you know, it sort of looks like an old Mac Mini. Yep, I've and it does me grand, you know, and it'll do, it, hopefully it'll do me grand for quite some time to come. I used to love Linksys actually, but that was before they were bought out by was it Cisco? Yep, and then Cisco started meddling, and they went, "Oh yeah, we're Cisco. We don't know how to do things properly or consume it." Cisco was one of those things of it was a me too thing of, "Oh, hang on a sec, we're losing our bu- our business stuff to the commercial market. Let's just buy the commercial market." Yeah, yeah, we need an in in this market. There we go, Linksys. Yoink. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right then, chaps. Um, unfortunately, I'm over my allotted time. Bart, sorry if I appear rude yet again. Every time you come on, it's always you have to go early, and we started late, or I've started late, or there's something going on. Next We're time, just busy people. That's all. I wish I was. I've just oh, I've got to go. In, uh, man, <laughs> dog, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Bart, thank you very much for coming on. No, in fact, no, guys, thank you for having me on this week's show. Uh, I will hopefully be around next week. Uh, so I'm going to bow out, chaps. Have a good rest the show and i will talk to you next week thank you very much for listening to me and a guest appearing on my own show i'm babbling now i'm going ciao everyone see you mark bye and feel better yeah feel cheers, better soon dear, oh dear cheers guys take it easy. bye right okay well but i think we've done most of the apple news i left out some other bits and bobs that i didn't really think were worth talking about uh what have we got there uh the iPhone 6 replacement batteries, that is, of course, only a report by some... Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing there is simply supply and demand. You know, we've just cut the price from nearly $80 to nearly $30. So, yeah, shock horror, people are taking them up on it. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, the only one we haven't covered here, and this is another uh, analyst company, GBH Insights, says the HomePod is probably four to six weeks away, but will face an uphill battle against uh, Google Home and the uh, Amazon Echo. Uh, wow, uh, that's not really a big surprise, is it? Even if it is four to six weeks away, it doesn't really surprise me that they might struggle to sell um, a device that's twice, at least twice the price of the competitors. And But the focus is different, late. right? Apple have gone out of their way to focus on this being about a quality audio device, not about just having a lady in a can in the corner. So... We shall see. We shall indeed. I will be interested. It's not something that interests me. I don't have, uh, no, I don't have any hey dingus devices um, because they don't interest me in the least because I'm not also not interested in home automation. I'm quite happy to flick switch on the wall. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, um, I, 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 I mean, in theory, I, I don't have a problem with the concept of home automation. I just think it's a little bit too early Wild West days for me. 
I will let the early adopters get their fingers burned and I'm just going to sit back for another year or two and then then I'll join in when things have matured. Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance, I suppose, maybe in five, you know, two years, five years when it starts to become more mainstream and everybody's doing it, then maybe I might think about buying into it. But at the minute... I think you get it by default. I think the day is just going to come where it's normal to have to buy devices that will just, you know, see your Apple TV in the house and go, hey, I see you have... Or your... Yeah, your Alexa or, box or whatever, or whatever and just basically is, yeah. go, oh yes, I see your house uses blah, blah, blah technology. Would you like me to join up? And you just go, yeah. And then from then on, you can use your phone to control your whatever. I mean, I, I was listening to uh, uh, Tech Pinions podcast mm. uh, uh, earlier today, actually. And they obviously were talking about CES, which is what we're going to go on to uh, shortly. Uh, and yeah. they, they were saying that a lot of the devices there, although they say incorporating Alexa, um, a lot of them are fairly simple devices and they're not actually smart speaker devices. They're simply voice interface. And it's simply that the companies are buying the natural language processing uh, core. Yeah, they're just adding a skill basically to yeah. allow the, their device to be controlled, which is fine, right? That that seems... Yeah, and then, you know, there was also a, a lot of talk saying, well, pretty soon it's quite likely that you're going to get these devices and you'll be able to choose what technology you use as the, you know, so whether that's Cortana or Siri or whatever. And because in order to hit the broadest market, the manufacturers are not going to want to tie themselves to one technology. No. Yeah. And you're already seeing that, right? Like, you know, the Echo B stuff will integrate with whatever you want it to integrate with. And, you know, the Philips Hue will integrate with whatever you're having. That just seems to be the way. There'll be, you know, this handful of APIs and some of them may come and some of them may go over time. But ultimately, anyone who wants to sell a wide ranging device is going to, it's going to work with all the different APIs. Yeah. And I'll be fine. And as long as Apple keeps selling millions and millions and millions of iPhones, well, then by definition, HomeKit is going to be one of the ones addressed because that's what people have in their pocket. So you're going to want your device to work with it. Yeah. You're not going to want to shut out 30% of the market, are you? Just... Yeah. And it doesn't matter if Apple sells one HomePod or a million HomePods. HomeKit is not about HomePods. HomeKit is about all Apple devices, especially all iOS devices. And there's a metric bleep ton of those around and there is going to continue to be a metric bleep ton of those around so that means home kit continues to be important regardless of how the home pod does definitely oh definitely I, I totally agree uh right uh obviously this was ces week and every website blog and uh podcast is of course talking about it i've picked out but some items which i found to be somewhat more interesting um well credit to you for charge for plowing your way through all of those stories because i got i got ces fatigue pretty darn early <laughs> yeah well i i did uh chore through quite a lot but i decided well we're not going to look at automated vehicles because if you're interested in that that's on every website out there uh and relatively speaking this year i thought that ces was quite tame you know how some years there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things and there's not doesn't seem to be much of a theme this this year the theme was very much uh voice assistants and quote unquote ai yeah i mean it's always a hip and happening thing that everyone wants to be in on. And this year, it was clearly the year of the digital assistant. Yeah, very much. Everyone so. just seemed to want to be making a smart insert thing here. Exactly. So um, what I chored through and I picked out a few items which I thought 
uh, we're a little more, you know, outside the box. I'm not really interested in laundry folding boxes that don't work properly. And uh, <laughs> Sony's robot yeah, dog no, is very nice, real, but, right? you know. Yeah. So this first one uh, caught my eye. I'm not even sure if this actually was from CES, but it was uh, a company called eSight are changing blind people's lives uh, with these kind of smart glasses. Now, these are not smart glasses in the in the sense of, you know, Google Glass or whatever. These are, um, if you look at the picture, they're not exactly... They're more like Jordi LaForge's visor, right? Yeah. Um, they're opaque. Yes. Well, if you notice, on the front, they've got some cameras... And uh, they have some screens which apparently uh, play the images down. Um, and there's an on, if you follow the link, there's there's an interview or semi interview with a woman who's registered as blind. She can't see a person's face across the table. Um, she you know had to have a, a guide dog and and so on to get to college. Um, and now wearing this device, uh, she can uh, apparently pretty much see it contains uh you know super zoom features and all sorts of uh correction software and apparently now as a result of wearing this uh this visor-like device is worn on the head with a pair of corrective glasses if required a high-speed camera views the world around the wearer projecting the image onto oled screens where special software enhances and cleans up the image no lag the images don't have a digital appearance and because the visor can be lowered and lifted your peripheral vision isn't ruined uh and apparently this woman who is obviously not profoundly blind because otherwise it wouldn't work you have to be able to see something but she now mm. has the equivalent of 2020 sight and the zoom feature uh means she can actually see further and with more clarity than ordinary sight so um apparently the current cost is ten thousand dollars um but as you know they they're saying this is this is not currently really a a, a true commercial product it's something they're working on but it's fabulous i love stories like that i really do love stories like that yeah, and the the thing with this kind of technology is it, it like you know pe- people who are legally blind i mean there are people who don't have any vision but there's an awful 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 lot of people who are somewhere on a spectrum between normal vision and no vision at all and in fact i think there's probably more people somewhere in the middle than there is who are you know as you would say profoundly blind who can't see anything and they all have different needs but the thing with this kind of physical device is you can tune the person's um actual device to their actual needs so for some people maybe what they need is the colors inverted for other people what they need is a really high zoom for other people they may need some sort of edge enhancement you know depending on what it is you need to allow you to live a normal life you can program this kind of thing because basically it's a device up front that it takes the world into a computer which you then control to create some sort of output that's tailored to the person and does it all quickly without there being horrible lag to make them seasick well that opens up so many different possibilities for so many different distinct situations. It's extremely promising technology. Well, it is. I, I, and as they say, this is, you know, this is an augmented reality device in, in as much as, as you say, in, in much the same way as people, you know, have those those hearing aids which pitch shift and so on to allow, yeah. you know, move tones that people can't hear. Like my dad, he has the whole whole bands of sound which he can't hear and he has some clever, smart uh, earbuds which try to shift tones he can't hear into 
areas he can. So that oh, he can be clever. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not perfect, obviously, because there's whole, you know, things have to be moved up or down into into uh, wavelengths he can here. And it's not perfect. But as he said, it, it helps a lot because he doesn't lose, particularly in speech. He, he It's a lot of the mid-tone that he can't hear. So by shifting it either up or down or both, it allows him to hear clearer. Not a replacement for not being deaf, but, it, you know, but in the same way, this thing, as you say, can be t- tuned to a person's needs. So I, I love those sort of stories. I think that's that's where you see something that some people would, on the surface, might seem a bit frivolous, but turn to you know a really powerful use. Uh, right. Uh, well, the next one uh, is also about glasses. Now this is this is uh, this is about a company who are making some things called Dynafocals. Um, and Dynafocal smart glasses give your progressive lenses autofocus. Um, now, the idea of this is that the glasses frames adjust the lenses for you to help you uh, see through your progressive lenses without all that eye bobbing and head moving. Um, apparently, they're going to cost $149 um, and they will include instructions for your optometrist on how to make the lenses correctly to work with them. Uh, obviously, I have no idea how good they are, but I found that an, an interesting little piece. It's a sort of uh, just another way of somebody taking something a little bit technical and saying, can we do something with this that actually helps people? Because progressive lenses, although they have great uses, can also be a bit annoying. So, And $149 is not beyond the realm of many other frames, is it really? Well, that, that that's a much more end-user-friendly price than the previous pair of glasses we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, completely different, you know, levels of tech. But yeah, I mean, that that, that is a consumer price. And yes, it is. I, I, I've never worn uh, progressive lenses because I don't have glasses at all. Um, but I mean, on the one hand, compared to a bifocal, they sound like heaven. But on the other hand, having different focuses, depending on whether you look up or down, it just seems a bit of a weird hack to me. So anything to do a better job of that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. I mean, my, my father wore bifocals for many years and I'm reaching the stage now where I am going to probably have to get progressive lenses because otherwise I find myself switching glasses all the time. And um, the thing was, when my when my father first had progressive lenses, he had a great deal of trouble with them because he would instinctively move his head down to look at a book on the table rather than moving his eyes down to look through the bottom of the glasses. Um, and at first, they made him feel seasick. They really did. Yeah, I, I can imagine, yeah, because that's that's very weird. You have to train yourself, apparently, to move your eyes rather than, you know, and by if you move your eyes around too much, as it were, flicking you're up and down. Focusing the, in and you're, out while you're, you're doing it. Yeah, it's like, like you know, t- turning the turning the focus on your camera lens, but sort of in and out all the time. Um, so, so I guess it means you have to move your head when you want to change what you're looking at and you move your eyes when you want to move, you know, how focused you are. Yes, basically, yes, you do. You have to look sort of, you, you move your head slightly down and look slightly upwards for longer distance and sort of you look down in the sort of teacher looking through glasses on the end of their nose manner. Yeah, the to, old personae sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a bit like the old little half moons. You have to look down your nose really to, to read a book. Um, so, yeah, anything that helps with that has got to be good. And $149, uh, that sounds quite... Worth a go, right? Quite, yeah, I, I think that could be a, a seller. Um, 
Yeah, so those were a couple of things about glasses. The the one the one that I really like, I did like this. I, I thought this could be a really big consumer product, and that was the LG demo of a rollable TV screen. Uh, did you see that one, Bart? I, I just want one of these, please. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, people have been on about rollable OLEDs and such, not for years, and apparently, according to this, LG demoed a, a smaller um, and not so fully featured one a couple of years ago. But uh, I don't know. It, for anybody who hasn't seen it, you can follow the link. But it's a box about, I don't know, looks like it's probably about six inches square and then about five foot long. And, and the TV rolls up out of it like like a like an inverted roller blind. So it you press OK and it scrolls up. Apparently it takes about 10 to 12 seconds to fully extend, which, you know, might can't be that bad. Um, yeah. And then it functions as a full 63 inch or whatever it is uh, OLED TV. Um, and the other little trick it has is apparently you don't have to extend it all the way. If you have a an ultra wide 70 millimeter type film, you can you can have it scroll back in a bit so that you haven't got you know letterboxing so that you can show the ultra wide. And when you're not using yeah. it, you can either fold it away or you can have it sticking out like six inches and have some sort of uh, you know the weather report or the news feed or whatever scrolling across it, which is more of a yeah, gimmick. Yeah, that dashboard but... view where it becomes a long status strip is quite interesting looking actually. Uh, yeah. Just scrolling through the pictures here, I mean it, it, it compared to the. Like, I remember CRT tellies where if you wanted a big telly, you needed a very deep room. Oh yes. Now you're talking about a 65 inch telly that's literally so thin and flat that you can roll it up. Yeah. I mean it, it's it is very impressive technology. It, it, it reminded me very much in some ways as as, as the sort of uh, projector screens we used to have at school when I was a lad. Yes. Uh, you know they they'd come in with a thing on a tripod with a big box and then they'd pull out the projector pull it screen up, and, yeah. and and stick a pole in the back of it and it, it's that now, kind of idea. You're a giant big clank as the thing rolls itself back in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean I I guess in many ways you know we've gone from having those hulking great CRTs, which quite often were in the corner of the room because that's the only sensible place yeah. you could put. And uh, I forget which podcast it was on. Uh, somebody else was saying, "Well, do you remember in the you know back in the seventies and eighties, people had all sorts of ways and means of disguising their TV?" So, um, I mean, I remember as, as a lad, my dad bought an antique cabinet. Yeah, my, my grandparents' house, the, the TV was always in the cabinet because apparently it was somehow unseemly to have a television. Uh, so yeah. all of the couches were pointed at this cabinet where every time we wanted to watch telly, you'd open the magic doors, it'd slide out, and then they'd open out and then slide in so they'd be out of the way. Well, yeah, my dad had this, uh, you know, as I say, a, a sort of... Um... It was an antique kind of book cabinet. Um, mm. So it had a drawer at the top where obviously you could put all your keep all your VHS tapes and, um, yeah. in our case, uh, a, a, a Atari uh, twenty six hundred cartridges. And then the TV was was inside the cabinet, and then there was a shelf below there where the where the VCR went and the Atari could be uh, put. And when you wanted to use them, you opened the doors and you pulled all this stuff out. You wanted to play games or whatever, or put your and and when it wasn't, but one of the main reasons, of course, in, in my dad's house or my parents' house, was was not uh, that the TV was considered unseemly, merely that it was quite ugly because there was a you know a clunky old VCR and a, a pile of cables and controllers and and whatnot. So when not in use, you could simply shut the door and it looked nice. Yeah, uh, whereas in this case, it just rolls itself up and it's gone. 
or it becomes here's the weather or if you really want to be naff again i guess in an office environment that might make sense to have a ticker of the news or something hmm. but basically some sort of dashboard yeah you know could have your could just show your tweet stream or something i suppose whatever um, or i guess in a corporate environment number of open calls just to cheer you up yeah yeah um, any number of things but um and the other thing is of course we've all we've gone from those hulking great crts which we all used to try and disguise is what i'm saying to putting yeah. our uh, putting our tvs on the wall which is okay but i mean if i look at my tv there's a shelf above it with a skybox and an apple tv and then there's my then there's my tv and then there's a load of cables hanging out at the bottom of it because it's got to have cables feeding it from somewhere and then there's a sound bar below that you know it's all a bit it's still well, not it's really getting harder right so as our tvs get bigger the, the the size of empty wall you need keeps growing and you know, in modern houses, it tends to be a case that you want more natural light. So you have bigger windows and the more window you have, the less place you have to fit these gigantic tellies. And one of these days we're going to have a situation where you have well, this is a lovely sitting room, but I can't put my telly anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So I would quite gladly. I mean, I don't know. They'd still have to be cables, I'm sure. And, and somewhere to put all the gubbins that connect to the TV. But a lot of people saying, well, you, you could have, if you could have your TV, you know, roller bot there and you could have a picture on the wall. You know what I mean? You could have yeah. a picture or a mirror or something nice so that when, you, when you're not looking at it, you, you haven't got to look at this big black, black square. So or I'd the be... other option, leave it on all the time. But again, that's just a power hog. Whereas, yeah, yeah a, a picture or a mirror, they use a lot less power, i.e. none. None at all, precisely. Uh, so that, that one, and that looks like it could well be a genuine, you know, because let's face it, a lot of stuff at CES never never comes to it. Never ships, right. You know, I think unlike 3D TV, these rollable displays, I think, have an actual future. Oh, I can I can see that. And and like Mark was talking about, you know, these curved, concave screens and whatnot, I'm not convinced by any of that. Oh, try no, give, give, me, give me a gigantic big rollable screen. Yeah. Without a projector. Like a projector, just without the projector. Precisely. So that, if I can uh, future, I'll have it mounted in my ceiling, please. Yeah, well, I did think that. It would just like almost, I can see why they've done it going up, but in some ways, wouldn't it be nice if it came down? Well, the, the chances are it'll work fine both ways. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it will. Um, and anyway. I mean, it's, even if this particular model doesn't, the concept certainly could work out. Well, way. yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean, the main... The main focus, of course, of, of this demo is to show you that they've made an OLED screen which is thin enough and flexible enough that it can be rolled up into, you know, a, a sort of five-inch roll. And I forget what the figure was. Uh, they said something something like 50,000 roll in and out before they... That'll do. Okay, so I think roll the... in and roll out once a day for... Oh, yeah, that'll do fine. Right, <laughs> yeah. I think it would probably outlive me. Uh, yeah. So there we go. Wearables. Wasn't a huge amount about wearables, but I did find a couple of things about uh, wearables. One is quite a small thing, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, beauty companies and whatnot getting into, oh, we've got clever tech. I mean, last year, what was the heart, the smart airbrush and the smart toothbrush and all those sort of things. Or a Dyson hairdryer for 20 billion quid. Yeah. But this one is uh, L'Oreal have created a fingernail wearable which simply tells users uh, how much UV uh, exposure they've had. This, I, I, I'm not really a L'Oreal customer. Um, no. <laughs> but this genuinely appeals to me because I spend a lot of time outdoors. And 
in Ireland, the chance of my burning is pretty low because, well, every now and then we see this strange yellow thing, but it's quite a rare visitor. Usually we have a sort of more grey outlook. But that actually lulls all of us here into a false sense of security. Yeah, I'm not going to get a horrid sunburn, but maybe I'm getting, you know, bucket loads of UV. I actually wouldn't mind something which just tells me hey, you know, maybe it's time to start thinking of that sunscreen, even though you're not burning. Yeah. Well, according to this, uh, it's on digital trends. Uh, A team of engineers from Northwestern University teamed up with L'Oreal to create a fingernail wearable which lets users know when they've had too much sun. Uh, It's small enough to stick on your nail. I think think they said it was about 9 mil by 2.5 or something. Well, when I looked at the photo, it took me a moment to figure out where the bloody wearable was. I was like, is it the guy's running shoes? What are we looking at? Oh, it's the tiny little spot on his thumbnail. Yeah. Um, and it works without batteries and records cumulative UV. Um, and as it says here, 77,000 people were diagnosed with skin cancer in the US, making melanoma one of the most common forms of cancer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, if you work near radioactivity, you wear a badge and when the badge goes black, it's time to sod off. Well, yeah, actually, I would like to know if I'm absorbing stupid amounts of UV. And if all I have to do is put a sticker on my nail, I'm game. Yeah. Um, And uh, when I was, uh, it says it should retail for less than $50, apparently. Um, And reasonable. Yes. And whilst I was researching or looking into this, apparently last year, uh, L'Oreal brought out a a skin patch, which was like a sticker, Mm -hmm. um, which was a disposable kind of UV uh, thing. And they, they apparently gave tens of thousands of them away to children and it was a heart-shaped sticker that you put on your you know forearm or whatever and it gradually changed color apparently i think that was how it worked but they that that was a very simple thing not techno in itself but they were giving them away free to school children to help them understand how much uv they were exposed to. well that sounds damn laudable so i, I guess we have to say at least a few nice things about l'oreal yeah um because we're worth it <laughs> oh, go on then all right but no um you know if you are a person who goes out a lot i mean 50 dollars for something which apparently can measure your uv exposure um and they're saying it's not really any bigger than an m&m uh so there you go uh i found that... a lot flatter than an m&m <laughs> yes yes <laughs> uh so there you go uh that was that i thought was a another clever um and quite interesting story and yeah. again laudable you know something that we should all be possibly more worried about than we really are um same here you know i think it's quite easy to get a lot more uv than people think they're getting uh Okay, and I I found this one on Engadget, which is uh, again from a company called Zenoma, are making smart clothing for dementia patients. Um, and this is a sort of a bodysuit, like a like a well, almost like a set of long johns, I suppose. Uh, if you look at the picture, um, it's got mm-hmm. sensors in it. Uh, it's a smart fabric company. Um, they're Japanese apparently, and it's a set of smart pajamas which can be worn by patients in hospital, uh, specifically focusing on dementia. Uh, the idea is that rather than confining people to their rooms or keeping them under observation, the clothing can do the job. Um, they have oh, sensors. So all in... The bleepers and bloopers and all those various sensors that would normally wire you down are just in the yeah in the pajamas. Yeah, um, that seems way more humane than yes. Yeah, very much people. so. Uh, 
The circuits run along the hips and legs are designed to detect motion, so professionals will know if the wearer is moving. The technology in the shirt is designed to monitor vital signs, breathing, um, ports can be connected to an ECG, etc. Um, and apparently, the fabric sensors themselves do not require any gel or liquid to maintain conductivity with the skin. So the cloth can cool. be washed over 100 times before it shows signs of wear, which means, to be honest, that's probably as good as any other pair of pyjamas. Um, yeah. Um, and it's powered, I think, uh, by an Iron Man-style plastic disc on the chest with Bluetooth. It is rather telling. cool, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what it says, Iron Man style. That's how they've described it. Uh, which, to, which... to be honest, when I looked at it with the circuits and stuff running through it and the big circle on the front, that's straight where my brain went and I hadn't read the text yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it contains an accelerator, uh, accelerometer and a gyroscope. Uh, eight hours per charge, although they're saying it will need to long run for longer than that in clinical scenarios. Uh, and... yeah, you kind of want to get that to 12, wouldn't you? Yeah, but uh, limited cl- clinical trials will be taking place at an unnamed German hospital, uh, and they're saying they're hoping to be able to ship this by 2020 with a cost per garment of less than $100. Uh, again, oh, wow. uh, that's, you know, whether this thing will come to pass, but again, something I found fascinating. Um, I mean, they're saying particularly here for dementia patients, no doubt, because obviously if you've got somebody with dementia in hospital, they get freaked out when you start sticking things all over them and connecting well, things. And also, do you, do you really want to confine someone to their bed just because they have dementia? I mean, surely these, you know, that's very inhuman. Yes, it is. Quite right. And even more distressing. Um, yeah. And obviously they're saying that they detect motion in the legs, which obviously can help tell when people are moving about and so on. Uh, I immediately thought of another reason why you may wish to do that, because a lot of people with dementia also have Parkinson's and they suffer from uh, a syndrome called restless leg syndrome, uh, which I happen to know about, um, which basically means that when they're trying to lie down and go to sleep, their legs keep twitching. Um, very yeah, so the, the accelerometers or whatever would be able to tell the nurse's station. You know, hey. yes, Mr. Mr. Smith might need some help. You know, you know. So, Or, I mean, it, it's kind of horrible to say, but dementia patients can wander off in the middle of the night and so actually knowing that patient b is up and about yeah exactly could be excruciatingly useful and and of course i'm pretty sure that if these pan out there's no reason that they could not be used for people in hospital for other reasons you know if you're in you're in the hospital yeah. because you're you've got a heart problem or whatever i'm sure again that the, the instrumentation could probably be tailored to you know measure whatever it is you need to know about someone if they're in there for lung function or heart function and then again yeah, and- it's going to be a lot nicer than being wired to a machine while you lay in the ward all the time well and the other way the other, the other potential that springs to my mind going back to the pre-show to, to be tested for something like sleep apnea at the moment involves you going into hospital just so that they can wire you up while you sleep. But if all they have to do is give you a pair of PJs and send you home, yeah, well, that's a hospital bed saved. It's also a much more realistic test. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because I'll tell you something. It was really bloody hard to sleep in a hospital with 20 million gadgets hanging off me. <laughs> then a much more. Just give me a pair of PJs and send me home. I would have given you much better data. It's 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 quite strange actually. Talk talking about that because obviously, as I said to you, my wife suffers from sleep apnea, and when she was diagnosed, she we had to go to uh, I think it was Addenbrooke, but um, they gave her um, 
you know, an oximeter and a, a breathing thing that had to go up a nose and a chest uh, band and oh, all sorts of things that had to be stuck all over her, which she had to sleep yeah. in and then take the recording back for them to examine. Oh, so she actually was allowed to go home. I was oh, made to went... stay in the bloody hospital no, when no. the room had a radiator on full tilt that was with a yeah. broken valve that you couldn't turn off and the sweat was pouring off me. No, no. Uh, luckily, she was allowed to come home and she had to put all this stuff on and... um record herself and then go back and they you know they examined the data um although the outcome was pretty uh foregone conclusion because when i described to the doctor how my wife uh, sometimes was at night he went well i don't know i don't really need sure to know do... what that is yeah. yeah i don't really need to do this test but we'll do it anyway um well i mean it does help you quantify things right so well, it does, in yeah. my case i got a quantification that i was having an apnea 20 times an hour which sort of made me go oh right then this is not a, the, the, yeah this is not something i can shrug off this is something i must yeah. take action on. i mean uh i think my wife got 15 or 18 times an hour so yeah similar kind of situation i uh when i was tested um they simply gave me an oximeter that i put on my finger and i had to sleep with this peg on my finger and then they simply uh looked for desaturation um which I guess, yeah, just if they're, yeah, as a first pass test, that's actually quite, you know, that seems sensible because if you never run low on oxygen, there's no point in sending you home with 20 million gadgets strapped to you yeah, exactly. because so that's not me, what's going on. They gave me one of those finger oximeters and it recorded my uh, oxygen saturation overnight. And then when they came back to me, I said, well, there's a, uh, there, there's a couple of periods in the night where you were slightly desaturated, but we think that might be what we call positional. Um, and they said, yeah. well, I was going to have, uh, so I had to have surgery on my nose because I had, my nose was mashed up from when I smashed it up as a kid. Um, and I'd put up with it until I was in my 40s, and then it was beginning to annoy me. So I had my nose sorted out, and uh, they did a little bit of throat surgery to try and damp my snoring down. And uh, after that, I don't think it was really worth bothering with, because they, they said, you know, the oximeter doesn't show any prob- real problem, and you don't, you're asymptomatic. I didn't suffer from the, you know, constantly being tired or needing to yeah. fall asleep, whereas my wife was permanently yeah, tired, I mean, tired or wanting to sleep. I mean, the way it generally goes before you end up being done for a sleep study is that there's like a a questionnaire you fill in. Yeah. And depending on how you score on that, you know, it it sets off alarm bells or not. And, you know... yeah, so a lot, a lot of people, you know, the, the questionnaire is enough to rule you out. It's like, no, you're whatever's up with you, this isn't it. You know, it's on to the next expert. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Um, and for the last one, uh, I picked up on this one, which is the Aflac duck. Uh, which is it also has a um the, the Iron Man style chest there, looking yeah. at Mister Duck. Uh, and and that on Mister Duck has a specific purpose. This is a this is a robot duck which uh, this company have designed um, to comfort children who are undergoing cancer treatment. So uh, it it doesn't do anything specific medically, as it were. It, it's a it's a cute robot robot cuddly duck. Um, the the space on its chest is mm. for a child. They have a set of emoji discs which they can attach to the duck. So, you know, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm upset, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. And the duck will act, uh, respond accordingly. So if you put a sad one on it, it kind of... Um, <laughs> if it's happy, then it flaps its wings and dances and, and so on. And uh, apparently it also has a disc which uh, is, you know, it's chemotherapy disc so that it can undergo uh, chemotherapy along with the child, with, or at least, you know, I mean, so that they don't you know, feel... You know, it's alone. easy to scoff at 
it's easy to scoff at these kind of things because it sounds so childish. But you know something? It's for children. That's yeah. not a bug. That's a feature. And if it helps, if it helps a kid go through a really tough time in their lives, then I say, good on you. I don't care how childish it looks. Yeah. Well done. Well, it says it has sensors reacting to touch, a microphone, a light sensor. Um, when you hold the duck, it's lifelike with natural movement. It dances, it nuzzles, it has breath and a heartbeat. When you tickle it, it will quack and waggle its head. And it is incredibly cuddly. Yeah. This adorable duck gives children control during a time when they have seemingly none. They become the duck's caretaker. They can feed it, bathe it, and have it mirror their healthcare routines and even have receive uh, chemotherapy. Um, and on top of that, this company, uh, what does it say here? I believe they are, right, each duck costs approximately $200, but Aflac wished to donate these robot companions at no cost to any child newly diagnosed with cancer in the year. So there you go. So uh, another company, apparently, uh, I did some reading into this, and apparently the founder of the company uh, either suffered um, traumatic childhood illness himself or his child did. I, I didn't read it that depth. Right, basically they have experience with what they, children go through. Yes, and they have experience, and therefore uh, he is going to donate these ducks. Uh, That's lovely. To, yes, apparently for any children newly diagnosed with cancer so that they can have a companion to go through the unfortunate time with them. So I, I thought that was a very nice human interest story and very, very... Yeah, so CES isn't all corporate money grabbing. There's some no, nice things too. No, it's not all It's not all um, ludicrous self-heating voice-controlled toilets with foot warmers, <laughs> which is apparently one of the, one of the weirder I actually, ones. I strangely find that an appealing suggestion. What, at $6,000? <laughs> okay, less appealing now. <laughs> Maybe not so appealing at six thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, apparently it's got a Bluetooth speaker in it, and you can uh, tell it to adjust the B day function and heat the seat and all sorts of other things. That if you're yeah, shaped... B day function, not not so much. I guess I'm not European enough, but <laughs> you know, five o'clock in the morning on a winter's morning, a heated seat and a foot warmer. Yeah, could you? Uh, could, yes, I want the seat. I'd like to seat at exactly 64 degrees. Thank you. <laughs> I work in Celsius, so no, I wouldn't. Um... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know. Um, there we No, that would be very hot. That would be <laughs> exceedingly hot. You be. might find yourself with a red ring. Um, okay. Ooh. Ooh. of a curry before, yes. <laughs> right, well, uh, that's pretty much all the stories I... On the list, uh, Bart, is there anything that you uh, have seen this week that you'd want, like to add to that list? Um, I guess the, the the only elephant in the room is that Apple have released some more patches for the Meltdown and the Spectre stuff. And I, th- I think the bottom line, basically, thankfully, is that Apple have engineered their fixes in such a way that Apple users are not going to suffer the horrible slowdowns that are happening to some people with some configurations of chip plus OS plus workload. Yeah. And the the nice and easy take home for all of our listeners is stay patched and stay secure. Uh, yes. And as I uh, did say, I think uh, on one of the other shows when we were talking, obviously, about, about Meltdown and Spectre, you know, this is a time to be grateful you're in the Apple ecosphere because we only have to look to Apple for yeah. patches. Because um, they control the whole thing, you know, from soup to nuts. And that, in this instance, puts them... It just makes their life easier because Microsoft have an almost impossible task. In fact, Microsoft can't do it because Microsoft and Intel and HP slash Dell slash all those vendors, they all have to get together and work together. And they, I mean, they're doing a really good job. I'm kind of impressed. This thing was under embargo for months. 
Acts. It only leaked a weekly from the embargo. And all of these disparate companies had to work together proactively to get a patch out within a certain amount of time. And okay, it leaked a week early, but you know something, the patches were out. Yeah. So it's kind of impressive that despite how difficult the job the Microsofts and the Intels had, they actually did it. And Apple just had an easier job of it. And in the, in the end, it allowed Apple to to be more efficient, right? So the reason we're not having these slowdowns is because Apple was able to engineer very smart solutions because they didn't have to worry about a matrix of things to support that's impossibly large to imagine. They know what's in their devices because they put it there. Yeah, exactly. So no, that is uh, that is a uh, controlling the whole widget uh, works in your favor. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of the whole widget thing. And people say, oh, it means Apple have a monopoly on Macs. It's like, no, no, the Mac is, you know, the Mac is not the market. Computers is the market. And if you want to have a computer where no one is in control of any one part, you have yourself a PC, either a Linux PC or a Windows PC. If you want a whole widget experience with its many advantages, then you go Apple on the understanding that in exchange for those advantages, you do get a walled garden effect. I just happen to like the flowers in here. Yeah, I'll go with you on that one. Yes, very much so. So I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, so I think it's been a, a good rundown of the week in tech. Very good. Thank you for coming on, obviously. Um, as always, it's been uh, a pleasure to have you. Uh, so if you'd like to shill your show, uh, <laughs> take it away. Well, okay, well, in that case, I will say that I have a monthly Apple show where we do, we step back. We do, we, we, we look at the big picture. Um, so it's a monthly show. We step back, we look at the, the, what's been happening in Apple News, sort of the forests of the trees view of things. That's called Let's Talk Apple. And then sometime randomly during the month, mid-month-ish approximately, give or take a week, I do a show called Let's Talk Apple, which is sometimes just me talking Apple, sometimes me interviewing someone, not talking Apple, talking photography. Photography, yeah. Uh, sometimes me interviewing someone and sometimes me with a panel of people. It's a very, very varied format. But the one thing that's consistent is that it is a show about the art and craft of photography, not about whether to get a Canon or a Nikon or whether this lens is better than that lens. No, it's not about that. It's about the art and craft of making photographs. And if we talk about gear, we talk about it in the sense of why would I want a wide angle lens? Not does this wide angle lens have marginally better performance than that wide angle lens? So it's not a tech talk show. It's an art and craft show. And it's it's about my joy of photography, really. And the format is just completely up in the air. I do whatever I think will be fun. And this one show a month. I, I think that's a, a, as best as I can describe Let's Talk Photography. Yep. But anyway, it's all at let's-talk.ie. Very good. Okay. Well, uh, there's no uh, there's no Nemo's hardware store this week because all of the stuff's gone to CES. So nobody bothered to deliver <laughs> anything to, to, uh, to John. Which, uh, I, I think. The listeners are probably saturated with device stories for the yes. for the week. Uh, so uh, I think John deserves his week off anyway. But uh, everybody's gone to CES, so no no hardware for John, and that's pretty much it, really. Normally this is where I mention the Amazon affiliate link, but you all know how that works. Follow the Amazon affiliate link, and we get a small kickback. Uh, you can support us on Patreon uh, at the moment, and we also have a Pinecast tips jar. Uh, and there are links for all of those on the essentialapple.com. And uh, also, of course, Bart, like uh, this show, is part of the MyMac podcasting network where you can find Guy and Gaz and Tim and Dave and the geekiest show ever and the three geeky ladies and the Nintendo Club podcast and more. So uh, thank you, Bart. And I think we'll wrap the show up. Okie dokie then. All right. Bye, everyone. Have Goodbye. a good week. Bye. See ya. Amazon. Google, Apple, Android, iOS, 
Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. Uh, right, uh, I've unfortunately, but I'm not feeling too good, and I've got to do some stuff at about four o'clock-ish, so I will oh, be no. doing the bath and buggering off early. Well, that seems reasonable enough to me. <laughs> Assuming I won't be left on my own, I'm all right with that. Oh, no, no, <laughs> you won't be so, on your own. Oh, I'm here. New Year to you as well, by the way. Uh, oh, indeed. Sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, I've just not been well. Oh, I'm well, sorry to hear that. Uh, it's It's been going on. It. I've been ill since the 11th of November, and only now am I sort of like, uh, okay, I've got to go back to work now. Oh, jeez. Uh, so it's some sort of virus, or what's got you planked out? It's basically, it started off with a bit of a small sinus infection, and right now it feels like someone's standing on the side of my head whilst trying to put a, a, a massive 20-inch nail through my skull. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um yeah. Sinusitis is no fun. I used to get that a lot, and it feel, yeah. often feels like somebody's trying to pull your teeth out. Oh, yeah, and it's it's that that I've been on. Um, Let me guess: two... every antibiotic under the sun, double yeah. length course. Yeah, that's the one. I I have been where you are now. I do not envy you in the slightest. I will not tell you how long I suffered because that would not be helpful. Uh... Uh, what I will tell you is I have. A friend of mine, well, you know, three doctors and two friends of mine gave me the same piece of advice when it happened to me. Yeah. It's something called a Neil Med sinus rinse. And it sounds disgusting, but it's basically a squishy tube and special medicated salt that you literally rinse your head out with once a day. I have not had a single sinus infection in five years, and I used to have two or three a year. What's that called again? A Neil Med. It's spelled the American way. Let me, let me, I'll dig it up for you. Um, it takes a bit of getting used to, but once, once you're used to it, honestly, it completely sorted out my sinus issues. And oh. I, the worst I ever ended up with, I was out of work for six months. Uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to head towards that thing of it, it's an, it's annoying because like you sort of think, right, I've got a little bit of energy this morning. You wake up and you think, right, I'm fine. I can pot around the house. A couple of hours later, I just want to sit on the sofa. I just don't yeah. want to move. You get to that point as well where you haven't been eating, you haven't been drinking. Like It makes you feel like you are the stupidest person on the planet. Like What it does to your IQ is just ridiculous. Oh, I, yeah, unpleasant disease, and I don't have or illness a, or whatever. I don't have much of an IQ to start with, but it's, <laughs> it's just sort of it, you get exhausted being exhausted, and I know that sounds really, really. Stupid. Oh no, I, oh, I, I am. I, I understand you completely. Um, I ended up after so basically, it started off as. Basically, sinus infection became chest infection. Sinus infection became yep. chest infection. Sinus yep. infection became chest infection. And then yep. one time, sinus infection became viral pneumonia, became post-viral fatigue, became 18 months of hell. I'm sort of thinking that post-viral fatigue is what's sort of starting to hit me now. Because you know, in like, if I, if in the summer, I, can, I know that I'm being lazy. If like, I'm not going out on the bike, I'll berate myself and go, okay, you know, come on, you need to get out and do something on the bike. But now it's just sort of, it's not tired. I mean, my journey home from... Yeah. I, I used to, when I was at my worst with the post-viral fatigue, I wouldn't be able to cook a stir fry because my arm couldn't stir for five minutes. The muscles would just go, nope, I am done. Uh, I haven't been that far, but I know that I'm not too far off. And, uh, and it's, it, Basically, you feel as if you run a marathon and what you have in fact done is gone down the stairs. 
Yep. Oh, it, yes, I know that one. It, and it's it's like, again, going from work, I'd go up a set of stairs and I'd be going, <sighs> and I'm thinking, this cannot be right. You know, I can cycle 40, 50 miles, sit down for half an hour, have a bit of a nap, and then crack on with the rest of the day. But these steps are like, ugh. No, I, I'm, I'm hoping you've already been to your doctor. I have. I was on clarithromycin then. That usually sorts out sinus infections, actually. That's a pretty good one. No effect on me whatsoever. Oh, dear. Uh, then I went to, I had to go for a hospital appointment, and I had uh, amoxicillin, which cleared up the chest infection. Uh, but now I'm on doxycycline, I think it is. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, it's, 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 this is the greatest hits of... of, of yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, if it turns out not to be... Like, have they have they swabbed have they swabbed you yet? No, they've basically just said, "Oh, to keep taking." The last doctor that I went to said, "Oh, take these. It might take a month for it to clear up." And I'm going. This has been since the 11th of November. Oh well, uh, shall I sign you off work? Yes, please. How long do you want? A couple of weeks. I got four days. Oh dear. Yeah, it sounds like they're not quite taking you as seriously as they should at this stage. Yeah, you need to make yeah. sure that's not a strep infection, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, at the end, of, at the end of the day, I ended up finding with a specialist who shoved, who shoved a camera crew up my nose and down into my chest to figure out what, because I was getting both sinus and chest, sinus and chest all the time, one to the other, one to the other. So he wanted to check everything out. And he went up the nose and down through the sinuses all the way to the bottom of the chest. And ultimately, he did a few swabs and things. And he was able to say that you have a few things going on here. You have a viral infection, secondary bacterial infection. Take this antibiotic for the bacterial. You're taking three months off work for the viral. And he was dead right. And since then, I've been using the Neomed rinse, which he recommended, actually. Um, and it's just stopped it happening again. Because as soon as it starts to get a little bit infected, you have your daily rinse and you're it resets to zero and yeah by the next evening you know the, the there might be some gunk starting to build up but there's another rinse on the way 24 hours later and it just it never gets built up to the point where it becomes a sinus infection yeah yeah and if it doesn't become a sinus infection it then doesn't flow down into your chest so we also haven't had a chest infection in five years well i mean well this is the thing because just before this kicked off i was being treated for my thyroid and for my chest you know the doctor that i saw was actually half decent where yeah, there's a lot going on with you here. So I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be on blood uh, blood, pressure, pre- blood pressure medication and stuff for my thyroid. But I'm thinking, no, my, my body's not built to take this amount of drugs. I'm just going to deal with the sinuses and then go yeah. from there. Because now, you, in, in my case, the final complication was sleep apnea, which was is, stopping me from getting rest. Uh, sleep apnea. Is that the one where you sleep too much? Or no, that's the one where you... Um... You stop your breathing. Block. Yeah, yeah. You're, basically, I, I, I got tested and it turns out that 20 times an hour, my airways would collapse to the point that I was effectively not breathing for 30 seconds oh, and Jesus. then breathing again because I was asleep. So I don't know. What the fuck did I know about it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the trouble. It's massively undi- un- underdiagnosed because a lot of people don't realize they do it unless you've got, yeah. like, you know, with my wife, I had to say to her, Jackie, you need to see the doctor because I know you've got sleep apnea because you snore, then you stop, and then you go, <gasps> you know? oh, Yeah, that's the, that's the, that, that's the, uh, once or twice in the time I had the sleep apnea, I would, I actually woke myself up from it, because obviously it was a very, very bad apnea, and I woke up as if I was uh, being strangled. Yeah. And I literally shot out of the bed and gasped for air. Mm, yeah, it's very unpleasant. Um, oh, deeply. Yeah, but anyway, so a, a CPAP machine and the ability to get a decent night's sleep oh, and the sinus yeah. rinse, and I have been 
ride his reign since. Yeah, because sleep. Oh, I mean, oh, sleep. Be sleep. So nice. You know, sleep deprivation does terrible things to your oh, body. It really does. And the, and the other thing is, so at the end, at the end of all of this shenanigans, I had very high blood pressure, but the blood pressure was a symptom, not a cause. Yeah. yeah. So with the sleep you apnea know? under control and my weight under control, my blood pressure. Like I check my blood pressure every Saturday morning, and because I have a cool Bluetooth one, uh, and it, it used to read grade one hypertension, and now it reads optimal. Bloody hell. Because that's what I was thinking. Because I, it was only this year that I got diagnosed, funnily enough, as I was getting a bike fit. They went, the uh, the guy at Bike Fit Wales mm. looked up and said, You're, You need to see a doctor. He, he said, That's higher than it um, should be. And then he looked at my girlfriend at the time and said, He didn't say it to me. He said, You need to take him to a doctor. And I'm just all like thinking, That's got a big time. Blood pressure was going high. You know, I wasn't sleeping well. I'm still not sleeping well, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that's there we go. That's, that's yeah, Bart, that's Bart Bouchard's MD there. For... <laughs> yes, uh, we will have a link to nasal sprays in the show notes <laughs> on this week's <laughs> medical I, I, roundup. Gen- genuinely, I actually would. I would actually recommend it so much to anyone anyone who's suffering from sinuses that I really would be happy to talk about it on the show because it's it's so stupidly simple. And so amazingly effective. And of course, you get to see the effect of it in the sink, which is both disgusting and fantastic all at once. Oh, it's, it's like when I wake up in the morning, I wake up and I can breathe, but I know I've got this horrible ball of phlegm right at the back of my throat. And it's not going to move. It's just going to sit there and make me sort of like feel like I'm choking all the time until it picks the most honor- inopportune moment to go, ah, right, I'm going to make a bid for freedom now. <laughs> yeah. And there's that horrible, horrible moment of coughing it up and not being able to breathe. And you've got to go, okay, just try and get a bit more air out of your lungs. Don't pack the fact that you can't breathe that's all don't panic don't panic should we try some apple news oh that's one hell of an intro (laughs) recording help are we oh god yeah the second the guest comes on the recording starts Uh, (laughs) well there we go so i should say i am not an md despite what i said a minute ago (laughs) (laughs) i'll put this in the after show i will drop a marker uh i don't know who's editing this week so i will drop a marker well drop my i should probably do the editing mark if you're not feeling great yeah i like us like i say it's it's been funny since new year that this is the longest time i've been in front of a computer because i just look at it and go right type the password and the mere act of typing the password just makes me go Oh, blimey. Right. Uh, going to make a cup of tea now. And then making a cup of tea is like the kettle's all the way over there. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to stop so and watch a dance. <laughs> right. Okay, boys. Should we take it away? I'll play yeah. the intro. Uh, let's let's be apple then. Let's, right. let, let's get essential here. All right. Three, two, one. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.